everyone. I hope you are doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here for episode number 173. I'm here with Shawan Humes with MMA Reigns Podcast. But first and foremost, let me say hello to Shawan. How are you doing there, sir? Uh, no complaints, man. Just staying busy. Staying busy. Finally uh, moved to the apartment. Now just trying to get everything uh, settled and get everything cleaned out of the old place. A word, y'all moved? Uh, yeah, I moved about 30 miles out from Georgetown. True. How's that going? Not bad. We were going to get a house in Georgetown, but they're super expensive and people overpay just to get out there. So I had to move further out and take the better part of the year to see if we can find a um, house to move into. Right now, I'm staying in an apartment. True, true. How was the week with the kids? Uh, not bad. They they don't want to help move. They're kind of done. They had a tournament, and then uh, a couple, they've all been get getting calls from uh, coaches about playing playing in college. I don't know if they want to or not, but they've all been they've been they've been contacted by three or four schools apiece. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's good news. That's definitely good news, man. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, so even if you don't. You can say you you got the point where colleges were, were interested in having you play for them, which is an accomplishment in itself. So that is that is that is a big accomplishment. Yeah. This guy what, trained him. Huh, say it again. This guy's the one who trained him. So. so yeah, no man, you get you get part of that praise. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about some MMA today because we got some people to praise and some people to laugh at along the way. We have. UFC on ESPN 14 to talk about that was this card, this past Saturday's card, and also UFC Fight Night 173, that's this coming Saturday's card. But before we do so, as always, I want to take a minute to thank everyone for listening to this content. You can find us at MMARains.net. That is our flagship where all of our written content and everything doing or everything going with MMA ratings can be found. You can also go there to rate the fight, so let us know how excited you are for upcoming contests and what you thought of some recently passed fights as well. You can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports, Schwann Hughes. You can catch him over at Black Jordan Green. Across social media, MMA ratings. You can catch us at MMA ratings net on Instagram and Twitter. Check us out on YouTube, on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts as well. Apple iTunes, excuse me, Google Podcasts as well. As always, be sure to like and subscribe to our content. Share it across the social media channels and let everybody know where you found us. So, Schwan, let's jump right into this and let's talk about Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. Robert Whitaker picking up a unanimous decision victory over Till, five rounds of action. I don't remember what the scorecards were, but it was pretty clear that Whitaker had won. He had a t- tough go of the start because Darren Till dropped him in the first round. But outside of that, he pretty much did everything he needed to do to get this fight won. Shawn, what did you see that allowed him to take such a commanding lead on Saturday, him being Whitaker? Uh, basically, Darren Till, for all his, his vaunted striking background, his approach to striking, his approach to mixed martial arts is very basic very very it's like very very it's very simple it's very to the point there's not a lot of extras there's not a lot of advanced strategies layers in his striking or or defensive maneuvers he's pretty much a guy who's big strong big physically durable strong and he's a long fighter and he basically leans on those things as as his guideline for success if you're 
a certain caliber of fighter, you can't manage that because his footwork as a striker is better than the average MMA guy's footwork. He's got length, and to get beat length, you have to use fakes, feints, have a jab of your own, long-range weapons to get inside to get to him consistently. And then if you get inside on him, he's a durable guy who can take shots and get in, get involved in firefights and kind of exchange with you. So if you're not used to fighting at a high pace and striking or you're not used to getting hit a lot, then the you can take advantage of tilt, tilt holes, but he can take advantage of yours. You're like a familiarity. You're like a conditioning. You're like a durability. In the case of Robert Whitaker, what separated Whitaker was that Whitaker has an educated lead hand. He's got the long-range weapons, the front kicks, uh, the leg kicks, and Robert Whitaker's got enough boxing where he can work his way past the distance using his footwork and his feints and use his jab to transition from the edge of the range where Till likes to keep you at to the mid-range to the inside where he can get clinches, takedowns, and, and employ his wrestling and his physical strength. Um, that was basically the difference. Robert Whitaker is just a more developed striker. He, he, leans, he leans on his attributes as well, but he uses them to kind of reinforce or enhance the technical skills. The biggest difference between each was Till had no jab. Till's lead hand is like garbage. He doesn't do anything. He might parry some shots. He might occasionally throw a jab, but he, he doesn't establish a jab to come behind it, and he doesn't build off his jab. And if you're so basically, once you get past his length, you get past his lead hand, he's got nothing for you. He's really got nothing for you except to swing back and try to clinch with you. He doesn't really have any any rules or counters or slips or pivots or turns, but he can, can he can assert control and maintain control. He can jump on you quick and get control, which is what he did. But once Whitaker turned the corner, the fight was never in question, never really in question ever again. So in reference to that, did that really kind of surprise you? I thought that Till was going to be the more technical of the two strikers and be able to mix things up and keep Whitaker at range for longer stints of the bout. I thought he would be more crisp. I thought he would be able to land the bigger shots as well, too. He was the bigger man, in my opinion, but he wasn't able to do any of that. Did this fight really surprise you that the way it looked after round one? Not not really. I mean, I figured early on he could get something done because Robert Whitaker hasn't always been great defensively. As I said, he's an, he depends on his attributes as well, his aggression, those blitzes he uses. And, and he's not. And, he, and early on, he, he's had some slow starts. Adesanya got to him early. Jacare had some moments early, if I recall correctly. Yo Romero had some moments early. Even Derek Brunson had him on skates early on in the fight. So if you can jump on him, you can, you can assert yourself and you're willing to risk risk walking through some fire yourself because he hits hard. You want to take that risk. You can get to him early. You can put him on his heels. You can back him up. You can put shots together. The problem is he's tough enough that he can survive most of those things. And since he's got a, a pretty broad skill set as far as his striking, wrestling, and grappling, he's got, he's got options and ways to, to reset and regain control. Till, Till looks technical because of his stance and how he moves around and, and he throws things with some control and some poise. And I'm not saying he's not technical. I'm not saying he's awful. I'm just saying, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of other options. It's like he has one or two tricks to maintain. Like he'll use his distance, he'll use his volume, he'll use his length. And once you, once you figure out his tricks, once you figure out what he's trying to do, he has no other way of asserting control. So once Whitaker saw what he had and figured out a solution to it, namely getting his own jab off and, and starting to feint him back and getting his timing so that he could, so that he could not, not overreach on his feints, not commit on the feints, or not 
walk into shots. Once he figured him out, Darren Till had nothing else. Darren Till had no other way to get control of the fight. He had no other way to maintain control of the fight. He had these two or three preset things that he was going to do to take advantage of Robert Whitaker's holes. And once it stopped working, he had nothing else. And as good as as good as Till has looked at moments, the fact of the matter is, if you really watch his fights, uh, he wasn't for as great a striker as he was. He wasn't really great or efficient or impactful against Wonder Boy. And he's one of the guys who made Tyrone Tyrone Woodley look like a beast on the feet. He like walked straight in and got countered and blasted. And this is a guy who considers himself one of the better strikers in the world, a mixed martial arts or a world class striker. And there's been too many occasions where I've seen guys get to him or or, or seen him be unable to put to, put together enough work to really take over a fight or really put guys away. That that's that's not what you would expect to see from a guy who who's got the reputation of a till. I think he's more reputation and charisma than he is actual actual skill and ability to apply the skill. You know, you just said something about reputation and charisma. There was a question that came up. I was actually going to leave it to listener questions, but I'm going to ask it now. Is Darren so overrated? And I look at that because if you look at the way he's lost recently, even the going back to the, to the Tyron Willie loss where he was um, submitted, then he was stopped by Jorge Masvidal, and now he has this loss here. He's still young. He's only 26, 27, I believe. So are we going to see him ever turn the corner? But at this point right now, is Darren Till overrated in a sense that he was rushed a little bit too much? Yeah, it, it paid off because of his charisma. He's got a certain charm. He's got a, he's a good-looking guy. He talks a lot. But the fact of the matter is, if you really look at his, his skills, offensively, he's not doing a lot of things that are so impressive. You don't, I don't look at him and say, oh, like, wow, that's just amazing. It's, it's volume. It's length. It, it's some good technique. But he's not doing anything that I haven't seen before, anything that really separates him from fighters, because in most of his fights, he, he's not wiping guys out. He's not running clinics on guys where you're like, this guy doesn't belong in the cage with them. Oftentimes, he's giving as good as he gets. And many times, facing guys who aren't as accomplished, supposedly, as strikers, he's been knocked down, he's been rocked, he's been, he, he, he's, his, de- his defense hasn't held up. So people keep telling me he's an elite guy, but I don't see elite skills, I don't see elite strategy. I don't see elite adjustments. I don't know that he has an elite camp, you know, and athletically he's not elite either. His, the thing that makes him elite is probably his durability, his durability and his length. Outside of that, he doesn't have an elite skill to his name. He doesn't have elite physical tools and he doesn't have elite game planning and strategies. It's, it's pretty simple. Once you figure out what he's doing, if you have depth to your striking or your mixed martial arts game, you can put him in spots he doesn't want to be in. You can take advantage of what he's doing. Like I said, once Whitaker got his jab going, at no point did Till get his lead hand going. He, he, he couldn't make an adjustment. When he fought Jorge Masol, Jorge figured him out, made an adjustment. Till had, no, Till had no answer because a lot of Till's success is his physical strength and his durability. He leans on those things. And when he leans on them, he's been punished and exploited for those things before, regardless if it's a weight class or whatever. When have you ever seen Darren Till fight? You just fight a guy with a name and say, oh, my God, that was an amazing performance. That was spectacular. I've never seen it. Something interesting that's really been, I want to say, percolating after Saturday's fight is the idea that both men gained with this fight. Not only did Whitaker gain, obviously, because he picked up a W, but Darren Till gained as well. I find it a little bit hard to say that because a loss is a loss. The middleweight division, I feel like, is more competitive than people give it credit for. It's not lightweight. It's not welterweight. It's not women's strawweight. But it's still, it's probably right after that. 
after actually maybe after men's bantamweight as well too. Who needed this fight more, well, Whitaker or Till? And and is are we giving too much credit, I guess, to Till for how he performed? I, honestly, I, I think both people are getting too much credit. This is good. This is a win for Till because he faced a guy who's elite or close to elite. And elite, it was competitive and it was exciting and it had some ebbs and flows. It wasn't like the Masvidal fight where he got torched. It wasn't the fight with Wonder Boy where he just eked out a decision and didn't really do anything that stood out. It wasn't the Kelvin Gastelum fight. That guy, that guy has kind of been exposed for being as limited as he is. It was a fight against a guy who, you know, who was still considered one of the elite athletes, one of the elite fighters in the division. And he was able to more or less have a competitive back and forth fight for him. The reason I, I don't think it's necessarily a win is because, like you said, A, it's a loss. And B, it's a loss that once again exposed limitations in his game. His striking is supposed to be one of his strongest attributes, and he's been not. There's been at least two occasions, three occasions with Woodley, Whitaker, and uh, Masvidal, where he's essentially been outstruck. You could say it's a quick knockout, quick knockdown. You made one mistake, but the fact of the matter is, a guy with your pedigree made that mistake against guys who don't usually look this routinely spectacular on their feet against people with with that kind of experience and that kind of seasoning and striking. Jorge Masvidal's never looked at, like that kind of finisher in general against a guy with a solid striking background like that. I, even though he knocked out Cowboy Cerrone, he didn't look that good. He lost against Wonderboy. He didn't look great against him. When's the last time Tyrone Woodley looked dynamic and explosive as a finisher on a fight, on the feet? Against Robbie Lawler, like years ago? Carlos Condit, years ago before that? These guys who don't often put on these spectacular performances seem to put on tour de forces against Till which makes me think that Till is either hit the limits of his skill set or he's with a team that's not actively improving his skill set. To me, he seems like the same fighter he was before, maybe a little bit more poise, a little bit more professionalism. But as far as the options he has and the variety to his game, I, I can't say I see a whole lot of difference between the Till that came in two, three, four years ago and the Till that is now. Um, even for Robert Whitaker, even though it's a win, this win isn't going to propel him to Israel Adesanya. The guy I saw fighting can't beat Israel Adesanya. He starts too slow. He still depends on those blitzes and his athletics and his, his, his aggression. And even though he's got a good jab and he builds on it occasionally, he doesn't consistently build on it. He doesn't consistently come behind it. These guys are, are basically tailor-made for Israel Adesanya. They're both guys who like to stand up. They're both guys who are very hittable. One of them's a slow starter. One of them's a fast starter who runs out of ideas after a round and a half. And he's not even very technical. So even though I I don't think Adesanya is unbeatable, neither guy separated themselves. This was Till's chance to become elite by beating an elite guy. This is Robert Whitaker's chance to announce that he's here to stay, and he's also elite. He still may be elite, but that performance didn't didn't tell me that he's elite. It tells me that he's he's come back, he's, he's, he's worked some things out, he's maybe physically... Still there as a fighter, but it didn't tell me that he's leveled up. It didn't tell me that they've addressed some of the holes that he had previously to the to the Adesanya fight. In fact, it looks like his team, much like Till's team, is riding on his physical tools and physical tools to get him where they need him to be. He still is not doing certain things that are going to protect him against a certain caliber of athlete. And if he fought Israel on the next fight, I expect Israel to finish him in one round. And if somehow Ter- Darren Till would have won that fight, I'd expect Israel Zani to finish him in one round. Both guys look dangerous, but they also looked very vulnerable and not nearly as uh, dynamic as you would expect them to be athletically or technically. 
interesting thoughts there, sir. Um, what do you do with the winner and loser of this fight? In my opinion, I think that Whitaker should, or not Whitaker, excuse me. Um, actually, for Whitaker, well, no, he's already fought him, but I think that Darren Till is in a position where he doesn't drop too much, but I could see him placed against someone. I mean, let me pull my ratings up like I was looking at earlier. I think that Darren Till could benefit off of facing someone like a Uriah Hall or a Brad Tavares or someone that's or like a Jack Hermanson, maybe someone who Hermanson is coming off a win. So that would be a little bit more difficult. Maybe even a, that Yoel Romero fight he was ducking so much, but there's a lot of guys around him that are winning. Um, Paulo Costa, Jared Cannonier, Jack Hermanson, like we just mentioned, a lot of guys around I, him I think, that are, I think, are winning that I think he needs to stay away from. I think that, I think a lot of, I think this stage is, it's hard to hide him. You know, it's like, he beat Kelvin Gastelum, but was that really an impressive performance? Was that a fight of the night? Was that really like, oh, wow, he shown? It didn't. And there's a lot of guys who hit hard, who are better athletes than him, who can exploit the holes he has. Like, initially, he'll, he'll do his work because of his, his movement and his range, but defensively, he's so hittable if a guy is willing to commit to getting at him. And he doesn't seem to have any ability to lessen his ability to get hit. Cannoneer is a killer, killer puncher. Costa is a killer puncher. Adesanya is a killer striker. Like, they're guys who could finish him and finish him dynamically. Um, Uriah Hall is also a guy who mentally you never know where he's at, but as far as his actual build, his offensive skill and his explosiveness and his durability, he's, he's, better, he's, better, than, he, he, he's, better, he's better than Till. So it's like there's no fight that Till's going to get. It's going to be an easy fight. Tavares might be a good fit because Tavares isn't really a technician. Tavares isn't really a killer puncher. He's, he's like a, a less skilled less offensively measured version of Till. He throws volume. He's, he's not long. He's big and strong. He's hittable. That may, might be a fight that, fa- that favors Till because Till would have a skill advantage. He's had a length advantage. And even if it got ugly, I feel that he could, he could engage in a firefight with T- Tavares. But guys like Cannoneer, that's a 50-50 fight at best for Till. Uh, Costa, I, d- I don't even want to know what Costa would do to him. He can't hurt him, and Costa can kill him. Uriah Hall, if Uriah Hall's locked in, Uriah Hall walks through Darren Till, in my opinion. Not because he can't fight at all, but just because he has the right weaknesses to be exploited by that type of fighter. Interesting that you said um, Uriah Hall walks with Darren Hill. So I think I would be interested in seeing that fight because Uriah Hall, the thing about Uriah Hall is that you, we never know what guy's going to show up. We just never know what version of him is going to really show up. For Robert Whitaker, though, I would love to see him fight a Jared Cannonier or a Jack Hermanson. He can't go right back to a title shot. I don't think he performed well enough for that. He can't go right back to that. But I no. think that he can um, he can uh, face someone like a Jared Kennedy or a Jack Hermanson. And if he picks up a big win there, then okay, you can put him back in the, um, in the title picture. But right now, I, I think, I think he, he can go right back to the title shot. I prefer to even get him two fights. The, big, the biggest issue I have with him is he's still having a problem building off his jab. He's still using those blitzes which when somebody faints, it exposes him and walks him into shot. Somebody like Azatanya has the length and the timing, and he's, he's composed enough. He'll stand in there for those blitzes and punch with you. He'll take a shot to land one, but he'll punch in between your punches, and he's a sharp puncher. We've already seen what he's done to Whitaker. Paula Costa maybe isn't as sharp technically, but he can, he can handle the power, and he hits much, much harder than Whitaker. So Whitaker is going to be in a give and take with him. I'd really like to see Whitaker fight somebody who's got some durability and a range of skills to see if he can 
work more on his defense and work more on having a, a more offensively responsible approach that's going to protect him. Somebody like a Hermanson, maybe uh, the winner, the winner or the the winner of the uh, Brunson, uh, the Brunson Edmund fight. I just very concerned about him going in with any super super big dynamic hitters right now because early on Whitaker is very vulnerable to speed and aggression. It and and he's still not sharp. And he still hasn't proven to me he's defensively sound enough that he can navigate those spots. And given all the wars he's been in and all the injuries he's been in, I feel like he's really at a tipping point and he needs to really sharpen his game and have it be offensively responsible and defensively responsible so he can navigate those rough spots. Because I don't think he has it in him to be taking too many more big shots and getting dropped. Even in, even, even late in the fight against Till, I felt there were moments Till was close to taking over, where Till was backing him up. And Till's not, like I said, not super technical, not super athletic, not the biggest hitter either. I don't, I don't know what Cannoneer does if he lands like that early in the first round. I don't know what Paula Costa does to him if he lands like that in the first round. I know, we've already seen what Israel Adesanya does to him when he lands big in the first round. So I think they really need to take it slow, start reinstalling these things, developing layers in his game, and bring him along against ranked tough guys, but guys who can give him rounds and guys who he, he can test drive these other skills he's going to need to survive against the better guys. The Robert Whitaker we saw Saturday does not beat Costa, does not beat Adesanya. I don't know that Robert Whitaker beats Uriah Hall in a rematch. In fact, if they rematch right now, I say Hall beats him. You think Hall beats Robert Whitaker if they rematch right now? Right now. Not, maybe maybe six months from now he won't. Maybe a year from now he won't. But right now, I don't think Whitaker can get past him. Okay, okay. I can get with you on that. I'll be willing to see that. One rematch I am not willing to see right now, though, is Mauricio Shogun Hua and Antonio Noguera. I don't need to see these fight guys fight again. I don't need to see the feet. Excuse me. I don't need to see them fight each other, and I don't need to see them fighting anybody else. There has to be a point where we say enough is enough. Yes, Noguera may have retired on Saturday, and he didn't really even commit to retiring. Noguera or um, Hua is talking about still fighting. He's won three of his last five, I believe. But at some point. Enough has to be enough. We see guys retire from basketball. Michael Jordan had to finally walk away at some point in time. We see guys walk away from football. I'm, um, you know, Peyton, him and Peyton Manning had to walk away before his, his head got ripped off his neck. Uh, Peyton Manning had to walk away. Who else? Emmitt, Emmitt Smith had to walk away at some point in time. So, I mean, hell, Luke, um, Luke Keekley for the Panthers had to walk away at a, at a young age because of all of the concussions. But yet you have MMA... You have you got Bigfoot talking about he's coming out of retirement. He hasn't fought in three years. He did that bare knuckle fighting fight. But, uh, he's going back to LFA. He's going to be fighting again coming up. What on earth is going on with these heavyweights not going in? And how, like, what do we do with these guys that are trying to stick around past their prime? Well, it's it's tough because in, in Hua's case, he's been winning more than he's losing, and he's knocked off a few guys who are who are younger and, and has some prospects to them. Um, the the simple fact that the one thing I will give him credit for is at his peak he was an offensive dynamo, explosive, durable, dynamic with techniques and just a wrecking ball. And as he lost his explosiveness, he lost some of his durability, he lost some of his agility. He still managed to rebuild himself into a fighter who even when he loses generally puts on fairly good performances. He's turned himself into pretty much one of the better counterpunchers counterpunchers in the sport, especially considering the fact that his reflexes. And that his explosiveness is not anywhere near its prime. For him to be as effective as he is, even at this weight class, is impressive. Because all the other guys who were dominant in that weight class during that time, 
they're all gone. Hendo's gone. Nogueras might as well be gone. Rampage is no longer big. I mean, Rashad Evans has been gone for years. Rashad Evans couldn't buy a win. Forrest Griffin, all these guys who were ahead of him, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz was still in there. They're all gone. They're no longer competing at the highest level. They're no longer consistently putting wins together against against competition. So to that degree, it's hard for me to say he needs to retire, even though he doesn't look great, because he's still finding ways to win. And if you can still find ways to win, it's hard for me to tell you, hey, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Somebody should be able to beat you, give you a two or three fight losing streak and send you on the way. That hasn't happened yet. So to that regard, it's hard to say that for him. Nagara, I mean, to be honest, both guys need to be done. But they're in a division full of guys who either are their age, so they're not at a huge physical disadvantage, or two, B, they're facing guys who were athletically there, but it's like we talked about with Glover Teixeira. These guys are all athleticism and conditioning. They don't have any seasoning. They don't have any skill. They don't know how to rough, work their way out of tough spots. They, they, the jump in co- competition is so wide. They go from facing a guy who, knows in, who barely knows anything about fighting to facing a guy who was a pride champion or has been in the UFC for five or six years. The gap in experience and technique is so broad that they're instantly punished. Even if they have huge physical advantages, they get finished, they get punished, and that's why you don't see a lot of rotation in heavyweight or light heavyweight. Both guys should retire, but once again, what are they retiring to? I mean, the UFC doesn't set them up like NBA, another thing where you can be an analyst or you can be a spokesman, especially not nowadays. What are they retiring to? Maybe there's nothing else they want to do. Maybe there's no clear path where they can make this kind of money. You know, I have no idea. But should they, as far as competitive reasons, it's not a good look because they don't put on. Ex- it, it makes it. It's not a good look for them to fight each other. It's not a good look to have a bunch of old men knocking off young contenders in supposedly the toughest sport of them all. When in, in no other sport do you see guys like this consistently as impressively knocking off younger guys. But it's kind of the, the it's kind of the nature of the beast. If you can't beat him, it's hard to tell him to go on his way. I mean, for all we know, he could be two fights off from a title fight. He fights Glover Teixeira, beats him. He might be in the line for a title fight if we're being honest. But at what at what point in time is enough enough though? Like is when it... he can't compete. When he can't compete. That that's gonna be the point. That's what he's gonna say. When I can't compete. When you, when I put a three, four fight losing streak, two fight losing streak together, we can talk. But I'm winning three out of four. I'm winning two out of three. I think that's a slippery slope. Because all of that it damage, is. all that all of that damage piles up to when, yeah, I may be I may be um, undefeated or not undefeated, but I may have won three of my last five, four of my last six. But I get up one morning and I have Parkin- and I have Parkinson's disease or something like that because it's been beaten to me, or I have to no, miss I, CT I, or something like that. I I agree with that hundred percent. But the fact of the matter is, we have no control over that. And we talked about that with fighters before. Fans don't care as soon as you can't fight. Well, we're saying retire. You're saying mind your own business. You don't know what it's like to be a fighter. Okay, well I have to mind my own business then. You you're having options to take other avenues or do other things with your life. You've been, I mean, Shogun's been fighting for how long? Like 10, 13 years? I mean, you should at some point have set something up better for yourself, but you haven't. And people, people are concerned for you. People want your well-being. I'm sure his family wants him to be done, but he's choosing not to be. So if he's going to, if he's insistent on putting himself in these risks and putting himself in these positions, then the only thing I can go back to is calling the fight as it is. It's like when Anthony Smith said, y'all are babies, stop complaining, I can take care of myself. Okay, well, since you can take care of yourself, now I'm just going to look at it strictly for what it is. Nice. So um, that's what I'm going to do with it. Can't argue with you on that. Let's um, move on to another fight, this heavyweight bout between Fabrikio Werdum and Alison Gustafsson. It's funny, everybody was um, 
pretty much leaning on Gustafsson, expecting him to win, calling uh, thick, thick Gustafsson was going to be a change in his career. And I'm not sure if this is more of a Werdum win or, or a Gustafsson loss. I'm going to le- I'm leaning more of a Werdum win because once he gets his hands on you, once he drag, he can- he worked his ass off for that takedown to get Werdum or get Gustafsson down and get into a solid position to set up that armbar. But I believe this was the last fight on his contract, and he's uh, finishing. But he continue. He's planning on continuing fighting. And there's some rumors I've been reading about about him potentially going back to Bellator to rematch Fedor. What is Verdum's place as a heavyweight? He's a former champion. He has a lot of good solid wins, wins over Cain Velasquez and, and others. What is his place as a, a heavyweight in the UFC and beyond? Uh, I think it, his place is being one, if probably one, if probably the best best submission heavyweight of all time. No other. He's facing a litany of high high level grapplers, wrestlers, grapplers in MMA, and he's found a way to essentially beat them all. And, and submit a lot of them. So I mean, I can't think of another guy. Maybe Frank Mir has had more and had submissions that made more of an impression due to who he got him against and or, or the damage done. But outside of that, who 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 do you know as a submission type heavyweight who's done more work against a wider variety of guys than uh, Fabrizio Verdun? He's the top. Like it's not even close. Uh, he's won the fact that he's won world titles, ADCC titles, and he submitted. I mean, he's submitted just about everybody there is to submit in MMA. So there, it really shouldn't even be a conversation at this point in time. Yeah, that that's his that's his reputation. I mean, for the most for the, for the most part, that that's his reputation. Even with some of the uh, the peaks and valleys, especially the valleys he's had, that that's gonna be his reputation. And the fact that he kind of turned his career around, he was never really considered anything special, and then all of a sudden he became he turned himself into one of the best heavyweights in mixed martial arts. You know, he, he kind of changed his style, turned it more to a physical volume type style, more physical, more of a striker. And he kind of switched, switched, uh, switched paths halfway at the crossroads of his career and, and, and showed us something else, not just the, the grappling skills, but the, the physicality, the offensive striking and, and the pressure and the volume. So that, that's also something he'll be known for. I don't know that he's known as one of the best heavyweights. I, I guess you have to automatically. But some of the losses he had, especially especially when he was supposed to be around his peak or he was on his run, make you make you question whether he's in that that caliber. And some of the guys he beat weren't at their peak when he beat them, which brings up more questions. But but definitely one of the best, if not the best, submission wrestler in mixed martial arts history. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. He's definitely he's there. Like you have him. You have Damian Mayan was ADCC champion as well. Um, who else were champions that I can't really? I mean, obviously you have Mackenzie Dern. She's a, a champion in ADCC and and, and also a, a lot of them it. never can translate it over to the MMA though. They they're great there, but they can never translate it. I mean, they might win fights, but they're never winning them by submission. Like Mackenzie Dern, Dern, there's a lot of fights she didn't win by submission. She just outlasted someone. She grinded them out. Mm-hmm. For you to come in and and not just have those skills, but routinely be able to flaunt them against you know it is heavyweight but elite competition is something to be said because a lot of guys come from high level grappling backgrounds and they don't get a lot of finishes maybe early when they get to ufc then you don't see those submissions nearly as much i can agree with you on 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 that for sure let's talk about gustafson though uh he 
took this L and I can't really say it's it's not like a it's it's not like he got out he went out there and got thumped. He got out grappled by someone who will out grapple ninety-nine out of a hundred heavyweights in the world, almost a hundred out of a hundred. Is this indicative of how we expect him to look at the in this new weight class? We shouldn't be calling for him to go back down to two oh five. I think he still has some value at, at heavyweight. What are your thoughts there? I just don't. My biggest concern with Gustafson was when he came in thick and big. I get you're trying to get stronger because you got to be more durable and all that. But the fact of the matter is, against natural heavyweights, you're really never gonna make up that mass. That's just natural body weight, dude. Like the weight you're trying, you would walk into, is the weight they're trying to cut down to. They're always gonna have a size and to a degree of durability advantage, unless you're a much much better athlete. And at this point, at this stage of his life. Um, he's never been a dynamic athlete, and at this stage, he, he he's even more so. He's not explosive. He's not really dynamic in his punching power and his moves. He's just a little bit quicker, more agile. For him to come in and try to match weight, to me, that was ridiculous. I thought he should have come in lighter, like closer to his, his uh, light heavyweight, and try to use a stick-and-move approach. Like, just turn him. Be light on your feet. Try and outwork him for, for uh, what, uh, make, make him work hard for that first round and a half. And so then maybe if he gets a submission, maybe he can't finish the takedown because he's so tired. Maybe he can't get the submission because he's a half, half a beat slow because he's, he's trying to catch his breath or trying to get control instead of rolling right for the submission. I, I didn't think that getting bigger was going to play any favor because he's not a knockout puncher. He's never really been one. He's a volume guy. The more volume you throw, especially if you're stationary, it's easier for me to get to you. He, as much as he moves, he's not great defensively against guys with some reach and, some, and a little bit of craft. So I really, I really felt coming in. I felt when he came in this thick Kusasin, I was like, that's not a good game plan. His biggest thing should be trying to avoid him. Fabricio isn't chasing anybody down, really. You can turn him, you can twist him, you can pop him with a jab, you can kick him with long weapons. And I felt he he should have approached the fight a little bit differently. I know he tried to do it a little bit, but I felt the biggest way to exploit Verdum was to exploit routine weaknesses. He's not, he doesn't have good footwork. He's not very well conditioned at this point. And you can outwork him if you move. And it seemed like he wasn't prepared to fight Verdun. It's like he thought he was done. He was just going to walk through. And I think a lot of people got thought Verdun was done and he was going to get walked through because uh, the last guy who beat him. But the last guy's a better grappler than Gustafsson. He's a natural heavyweight. So there's certain things he could do to defend submissions and, and get certain positions that Gustafsson was never going to be able to do. True. Okay. I. I, mean, I don't want. I don't want to talk too much more about Alexander Gustafsson. We're going to move on to two more individuals from this fight on Saturday. Carla Esparza. She keeps winning. I mean, that's, there's really no nothing else beyond that. She keeps finding a way to win. Is she really a threat to the belt, or are we going to see a situation where she's placed against the top three or four and she doesn't get the job done? Like if we look right now. She's sitting at number seven still. I don't know if these ratings have been updated, but she wants that rematch with Claudia Gadelia. Nina Ansaroff is out because she's pregnant. I don't know if you saw that, saw the video of her hitting pads still, man. She's still, she's still get, putting in that work, carrying a baby. She, yeah. She's like seven, eight months now, and she's still putting in work. Nina Ansaroff, or is it, like she's out. Tatiana Sword is out because of her neck. You have Ioana Janjacek. Obviously, Ioana beat the hell out of Claudia Gadelia back in the day to take the title from her. Um, Jessica Andrade, they never, they have not fought, I don't think. So you could potentially do that. And then you obviously have Rose Namajunas, who's expected to be next for Wiley J. Out of those names there, Gedalia, Yanjacek, and Andrade, 
who is the best one that Esparza has? Who's the best? Who's the individual Esparza has the best chance of beating? I guess Jen Jadrick, just because she's faded. She's not who she is. She's been through a lot of wars. She's she's a little bit more hittable than she used to be. Her pace doesn't seem to be quite what it is, so any day she could fall off. But if you tell me Jen is going to be 100% when she fights Esparza, she'll still beat her. Esparza isn't a great athlete. As much as she's improved on the feet, it's more than a strategic improvement, the more than technical. She she takes the right strategy. She'll make adjustments in what she's doing to get to spots and to be successful. But she's she, she, she's declined as an athlete. She's not as quick or as explosive as she used to be, and she was never quick or explosive. She's not a big hitter. And even though she can take punishment, her she doesn't respond well to punishment as far as her body. I mean, when she gets hit, she looks like she gets hit. And she get and and a lot of her her ability to win is she's facing girls who don't have the all round skill set or the seasoning to exploit her when they've got wins in their hands. Uh, when she fought uh, Rodriguez, Rodriguez was giving her the business. Rodriguez was putting her in some tough spots, but then Rodriguez is just conceding things. She's she's getting into prolonged ground exchanges with a better grappler and a better wrestler. She's striking from the bottom, which is being effective to a certain degree, but she's still on the bottom and still being controlled. You know, she's getting take down, taken down because she, she's not setting up her strike. She's not feigning her way in and keeping Carla at, at, at range. She's letting Carla get to her spot. She's letting Carla get to her body. She's, she's allowing Carla to, to make it look like she's being more effective and more dominant than she is. And that's just, that's just lack of experience. That's poor, that's poor preparation. And in this win streak that Carla's had, she's fought a lot of, physically limited and somewhat inexperienced opponent who, who make the kind of mistakes and have the, the kind, of, kind of lack of a focus or, or engagement that allows her to take over a fight or control a fight. And, and that's basically been it. She hasn't beaten a really elite fighter who's accomplished really a lot in the, in, in, in the UFC in this win streak. I mean, Michelle Watterson, as much of a name as she is and as much as she's had good wins, Michelle Watterson has never really set the UFC on fire. She's never been in that top three class. And she had limitations based on her size and her own physicality. She beat, uh, who's the one who moved up in weight after she beat her? Um, Alexis Grasso. As good as Alexis Grasso is, she's not a person who consistently fights. She fights in spots. She'll start off slow. She's been historically someone who fights off sl- starts off slow. You know, and Marina Rodriguez, she's a girl who every time she faces a certain caliber opponent, all she can do is draw. She does just enough to draw. And even in her wins, she hasn't been nearly dynamic or super impressive. She's kind of eked out wins as it is then, like grinded out, uh, you know, workman-like performances. So Carla hasn't had to face a person with elite talent or elite experience. And the one time she did, she faced Gedalia. Gedalia beat her. Might have been close, but Gedalia still beat her. And when she faced another person with kind of elite kind of talent, she lost. It was competitive, but she still lost against Tatiana Suarez. Again, second-tier talent. People who aren't really established as far as fighters don't have established identities. Yeah, she does great, but again, the best of the best, she she still hasn't really put wins together. So I have no reason to think that if you have, have her face the best again, that she's going to do much better. I don't think she beats Rose. I don't think she beats uh, Wiley. I don't think she beats Joanna unless Joanna's completely falling off of a cliff. And I know she doesn't beat Andrade, even though Andrade hasn't looked great in the last two wins. I don't think she beats Andrade either. So. Um, She's, she's she's talking about she'll she'll probably get an elite opponent, but it, at this stage I don't even know that she beats Amanda Rivas. She might be able to walk her down, but given the gaps in their skill set and athleticism, this is the kind of opponent who usually wipes wipes the floor with uh, Esparza. And the fact that Esparza is calling for Claudia Gadelia lets me know that she knows that she 
she's at a certain level herself. I don't care if it's personal. This is business. You're trying to get to a title. You're trying to get the big money. You're trying to become a champion again. Why are you calling out Claudia Gedalia? What, um, excuse me, something I was just sitting here thinking, listening to you talk about the way uh, Esparza has performed. I feel like she's the type of person that, that would get wins like the early Frankie Edgar did. Those scrappy, I'm going to outpoint you wins and people may not like the fact that I won or people may come up with all these reasons and formulas why I may have actually lost, but I did enough in the judges' eyes to pick up a victory, especially looking back at that first win over BJ Penn. If Carla Esparza is going to get back to the, the, the title picture and defeat some of these women ranked ahead of her, I think that's how she's going to get that done. I just don't think she's going to. Like she's improved. She she her striking has has improved. She's more defensively sound. She's a little more sense of, of offensively. She's not just striking to set up a takedown. She's willing to engage a little bit in strikes and it, it, get into extended exchanges. She sets up her strikes a little bit better. She since she's willing to commit to strikes now, they hide her takedowns a little bit better. And sometimes she she understands she just has to bite down and get get to her positions, even if it means she's going to get the worst of it. But the fact of the matter is, her wrestling isn't all that isn't all that much better. And even though she's better defensively on the ground, she still physically has a hard time with girls with a certain amount of length, a certain amount of physicality, and a certain amount of athleticism. I mean, uh, Marina Rodriguez has a very shallow skin skill set, and she has a very shallow game plan game plan in her preparation. And she was giving Carla all she could handle. The fact of the matter is. Marina's IQ, her awareness, and her overall skill set wasn't enough to beat someone like Carla, who has different approaches, can switch strategies, can switch gears, can go from trying to stay on the outside to faint to get you to commit so she can get a takedown, to pressuring you to get to the cage to get to a takedown, to getting in extended exchanges to get you to overcommit so she can get to a takedown. You take her down, she can work from the bottom from submissions, submissions and work sweeps. She gets from the top, she can just control you and ship you up. She just has a lot of different ways she can approach things. She does the same things, but she has a lot, a lot of different avenues she gets to her, her, her spots to and her goals to. Against an unseasoned girl who's used to fighting pretty straight-ahead fighters, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. But against more accomplished, more skilled people with that athleticism, she's not able to get to her spots. I mean, there's a reason Joanna made her look so bad. She couldn't get anything done against Joanna. And she looks incredible against Rose. And at this stage, I still don't think she can get those spots against Rose either. So Carla Esparza is fighting very smart, very cerebral. She's showing an array of skills. And she's better, better yet, she's showing awareness and an understanding of the ebb and flow of a fight. But that's, you can only scheme and game plan and strategize so much where there's a huge gap in talent, where there's a huge gap in overall skill. Against all the elite girls, she has a huge gap in talent and skill. And you can't, you can't scheme past that. You can't scheme past that. When it gets to that kind of level, you can't, you can't out-scheme that. You can scheme it to where it's a competitive loss, but you, you can't scheme with that many gaps and make that from a loss to a win, in my opinion. And I say this is the person who regularly comes up with game plans and ways to beat people. At a certain point, talent and physical tools and skills come into play. And as good as Carla's gotten, she hasn't gotten good enough to beat the elite people in that division. Interesting thoughts there, man. It's funny. We're really, I didn't expect us to be talking this much about uh, the fight card from Saturday, but there's one more individual I want to talk about because he seems to be all the rage, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Hazmat um, Chimaev, who fought for the second time in 10 weeks, or excuse me, 10 weeks, 10 days, picking up a 
TKO victory in the first round. This fight, the, his opponent didn't even throw any strikes. He's beaten two guys in 10 days. Neither one of them has landed any punches on him. Um, I think he's outscored them in strikes like 182 to 2 or something like that. Something ridiculous. But the thing is, that's making me so, not mad, but this is what MMA fans do. They immediately start talking about how we're going to put him up against a ranked opponent or something along those lines. Talk to me, Shawan. How stupid would it be, even if the UFC took him and put him up against, I think he's fighting at 170. He wants to go down to 155. I think that's what he said. But uh, let's see. If he if he stayed at 150, I mean 170, you even have fucking Dana White talking about he's ready to fight Kamar Usman or something along, along those lines, which is fucking ridiculous. But if you put him in there with like an Anthony Pettis or a Neil Magny, something like that, what, what type of fight would we expect to see? Is that too much for this guy at this point in time? I think given the dominance and the fact where he comes from and his, his skill set, I, I really think he could move him up a little bit faster than the average prospect. But the thing about it is, and, and, and it's like anybody's on a win streak, especially when, where they're not having to work, you, you question what happens when he doesn't get to his spot. What happens when he doesn't get that takedown? What happens when he tries to get into his spot and the guy pivots out and blasts him with a head kick or blasts him with a counter hook? What happens if the guy sticks a jab at him and he can't get to where he wants? We don't know how he's going to react because he's essentially had it his way. And um, I don't like, I, I like to see guys get a little bit of pushback so I can see mentally where they're at when, when you don't get the submission the way you want to. When you take the diet down, he gets right back up. When you don't even get to take down, he throws you off. And what happens when you're on that end of it? We, we don't really know because these guys haven't been able to put any sort of resistance against them. They, they, the UFC obviously thought he was at a certain level. They missed, they missed, they, they didn't, they didn't gauge his talent and his skill set correctly. Otherwise, he wouldn't have blown through those guys like that. And maybe he's just that good, but we don't know because he, he's fought pretty nondescript opponents. Um, I don't think you should rush him. Even if he could beat these guys, why do it right now? Get him two, three, four fights, build up so that when you face a bigger guy, you can build the fight better and have more highlights about how dominant he's been, how impressive he's been, and it sets the table, and you can make the fight even bigger than it is. Um, Dana's job is just to make new stars and to get new hype and, and to get people interested in it so he can say whatever he wants. But um, I, like I said, I, I think they should just keep the approach. Move, move up to a different caliber guy. You beat two more of those guys, move up to a different caliber guy. Give the fans time to get excited. Give the fans time to get acclimated to who you are and what you do so that you're, you're, you can get those big fights. Because when you, even if you're winning, if you don't have a name or you don't have some kind of heat behind you, guess what happens? You get stuck fighting these clowns and fighting these low-ring guys who, who aren't getting you anywhere. And the big guys get to avoid you. Look at Ryan Hall. They get to avoid you because you're not beating any names. You, you, haven't, put enough, you haven't put enough out there to force their hands. So the main thing you have to do is take the fight sincerely, keep winning them impressively, and make it to the point where the big guys can't avoid you. I'm not saying you don't move them up some, but for me to just, you know, the whole Usman talk, that's just a bit much for me. Pettis, Pettis, as good as he is athletically, he's not who he used to be, and he's vulnerable to grappling. That might be a good fight to get him, get, get, get him into. I don't know if Pettis takes it. You know, that might be a good fight. Maybe a Ferreira, Diego Ferreira, maybe he can fight him. I mean, that guy's a little bit more accomplished, but once again, he's a guy who's a grappling heavy style. So now maybe we get to see this guy stand up because he's facing a guy who he can't just ragdoll and, and easily submit. You know, you want him with style matchups to teach us something new about him. We've already seen that he can grapple. We've already seen that if you're not a certain caliber of grappler, wrestling, you can't 
handle him. So let's see what he does against a guy who either presents enough danger on the field where he has to be careful or a guy who's good enough on the ground where we don't know what, exactly what's going to happen if, they, if it hits there. Maybe, uh, yeah. who's that guy? Gunnar Nelson. Maybe Gunnar Nelson might be nice. Gunnar Nelson's lost a couple. He hasn't really been on the win streak, but he's a good grappler. He's an athletic striker. Uh, he, he, he will be able to pose some questions. And Neil Magny, of course. But Neil Magny always seems to struggle against a certain level athlete. Gunnar Nelson or me, Neil Magny will be good fights, I think. Yeah, Neil Magny, Neil Magny is ranked number 14. I think that is a good pick, too. Same with Gunnar Nelson. I, I, think, Gunnar, I, think, Gunnar Nelson, I think Gunnar Nelson would be a good matchup. He's athletic. He's got awkward striking style. He's got an awkward striking style, and he's been good enough to hang on the ground with Damian Maya fairly well, and and other people. And he he's tough. He's fairly durable. He hits pretty hard. He's gotten respect from more dangerous guys, and he's not highly ranked, but he's a guy who's been able to compete with and go rounds with, if not beat, better guys than than who this guy's faced. And I think that would tell you a lot. You you beat Gunnar Nelson impressively. We move it to Neil Magny. You beat Neil Magny. Well, now we. Now we got to start pushing you because you've been going through guys so quickly. To do what they did with uh, Israel Adesanya, they Tavares, you know, they had uh, I forgot the first guy I faced, but then they went to Tavares, and then once they got, got through Tavares, they had to keep pushing him because he was beating guys who who were established known quantities. At least let the, do the same thing with with this guy, give him another two fights, ascending level of opposition, and then we'll start talking about the name names in the division. But I'm saying at least six to eight months he's got before he. He gets to that point. True, I can agree with you on that. Let's look forward to this weekend's card. We don't have a whole lot because I don't want to talk about a whole bunch of this event. There isn't anything that really stands out to me other than the two and the main and co-main event. Derek Brunson versus Edmund Shabazian. I was looking at Derek Brunson's um, record in the UFC, and he's a guy who will not go away, but he's someone who he gets, he just doesn't, no one sends him away. If you look at who he's lost to, he's lost to nothing but champions. Israel Adesanya, um, Jacare's beaten him twice, Anderson Silva, which is, I think, a questionable decision, and Robert Whitaker, and Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero is a two-time title challenger. Outside of that, since his time in the UFC, that's it. I mean, I totally forgot how good this guy is. He's one, two, He's, he's put together, he's lost five times in the UFC, and he's won, I believe, 12 is the number. One, two, three, four. Ten, excuse me. So he's 10 and five in the UFC, but it feels like he's just been around and relevant for much, much, much longer than that. What is it about Derek Brunson that makes him such a tough out for, for people? Well, it's really just his athleticism and his power. That, that's really what separates it. In his best cases, when he uses wrestling, Along with his prodigious size and athleticism, that's what makes him the most dangerous guy. But he's that was back when he used to work with Greg Jackson. He used to fight a little bit more poise, a little bit more offensive structure, a little bit he fought more responsibly so as not to expose himself defensively. But when he's gotten away from Greg Jackson, it seems his defensive awareness isn't really there. The structure there does there doesn't seem to be a, a connected structure as far as what he's trying to do and how to go about doing it. And, and the biggest thing with Brunson is just the is really just the athleticism. He's so dangerous. He's he's capable of finishing guys at any moment. And if you're not a certain caliber of athlete or, or a certain caliber of fighter, he's he's going to be able to get you out of there. But if you really look at his wins, his wins haven't been great against great talents. I mean, Lorenz Larkin is a great talent, so you could say that. 
But, you know, Yo Romero, a certain kind of athlete, certain kind of fighter, Jacare, Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, when he gets to a certain caliber, he seems to struggle when he, his athleticism and his power isn't enough to just overwhelm guys. And um, that that's why I, I always had a hard time really ranking him as anything as a fighter because I, I didn't. I didn't always see him put it all together. It was a lot of quick finishes, a lot of guys just couldn't handle what he what he could do or how he was approaching him. But when he wasn't able to impose his will right off right off the bat, he generally doesn't win. He generally doesn't look all that great, and um and and that that's always been my concern for him. But just based off athleticism, he's fairly durable, and, and his his physical tools, you're, he's going to be a top top eight, top five, top fighter in the division. He, he's just that dangerous. When I look at the finer aspects of his skills and his ability to apply them, uh, I have a lot of questions for him. You know, th- those losses he had weren't super competitive losses. They were they were pretty bad losses. Even the loss against Anderson Silva that disputed, he had a hard time keep getting Anderson down. He had a hard time keeping Anderson down. He had a hard time hurting Anderson, who a couple fights before was getting dropped left and right by Michael Bisping. You know, it makes you wonder, like, what are you missing? How are you? How how are you unable to consistently put rounds together in an impressive enough fashion to win clearly against Anderson? Other people did it. Other top ring fighters do it. How did? How are you unable to? Even if you think he won it, how come he couldn't do enough to put a stamp on it to separate himself? Yeah, he seems to have to have not been able to do that at any point in, in time. But he just keeps remaining relevant in the 185 pound division and he has an undefeated opponent in Shabazian who is looking for a statement win right now he has that win over Brad Tavares Tavares was Tavares was was a top name at one point in, in, in time and he looked good but I'm not sure if this is a fight that 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 Shabazian is ready for at this point in time if he is Yes, we can we can almost make him sign so delivered to be a top contender in the near future. But I don't think this is the right fight at, at the right time. What are your thoughts about that? I think it is because you're facing a guy who's accomplished, a guy who's dangerous, but also a guy who's been noticeably vulnerable against a certain class of fighter. When you look at the guys who's beat, Ed Herman, Dan Kelly, uh, even the faded Leota Machida, when you see the guys he's beaten, I don't see a lot of elite guys on there. I don't see a lot of elite talents on there. The only guy who's elite talent he's beaten would be um, Uriah Hall, you know. And and like you said before, it's a good win, but it was a it was a quick win. Most of his wins are quick wins. When fights go past a round, they go past two rounds. He he tends not to perform nearly as well. It's like if he if he can't assert himself and take over the fight and and build a lead or finish right off the bat, he seems to be unable to do anything of note consistently through three rounds. You know, he just wasn't able to. He wasn't able to assert himself against Adesanya. He couldn't get going. Adesanya picked him apart. He was able to assert himself against Silva. He did some good things. He might have even won it. But at no point did he run away from the fight. The later the fight went, the less consistently effective he was. When he fought Robert Whitaker, he had huge moments and bursts, but he could never put together enough offense to put the fight away. When he fought Yo Romero, he was doing very well, but he could never do enough to put Yo Romero away or to crew or to finish out the fight and win. He's just never been able to, to consistently put things together. He, he has huge moments and then he has huge lows. Edmund isn't super experienced, but Edmund's athletic. He hits hard. 
he 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 might not be as skilled as as Brunson in certain areas, but he's shown an array of skills. He's shown some grappling. He's shown some wrestling. He's shown some striking. I don't remember the last time Derrick Brunson has really brought out the wrestling. I don't know that at the time that he's ever ever really grapples with anybody. He's essentially turned himself into an athletic striker. Not super technical, not super layered in his offense, and, and very hittable defensively. I think this is a great win for him. If Brunson, if a great fight, if Brunson knocks him out, it's what Brunson has done to a certain class of fighter and lets us know that Edmund has more work to do. If Edmund takes him out, he's following the trend of guys who were elite guys because generally Brunson only loses to a certain caliber of guy. And if Edmund beats him, by proxy, that means he's one of those guys. And as much experience as Brunson has, Brunson doesn't fight very smart. I mean, to be quite honest, every time he knocks somebody out, he's, he could have just been as easily been knocked out himself. So even though he's got more experience, he's far better opposition, I don't know that he has a skill set to take advantage of the lack of experience, the lack of experience that Edmund has. I don't know that he has a skill set to really take advantage of it. He has the athleticism. He, he has the aggression, but does he have the experience? Has he ever seen like a really nuanced, poised fighter to you? You ever put those words together when you think of a Derrick Brunson fighting? I don't. I don't think I've never put the clever, smart, restrained, poised, mature, technical. I never put those words in the center with Derrick Brunson. Aggressive, hard hitting, hittable, dangerous, kind of a front runner. Yeah. The other stuff? Nah. Not even close. So even though he's more experienced. Yeah, he's more experienced. He might not. He might get him out there. But if he gets him out there, how's he gonna get him out there? Land a couple big bombs. They ain't gonna tell us nothing new about Derrick Brunson. They ain't gonna show any improvement. He takes him down and submits him. Oh, okay. Well, then we talking about different Derrick Brunson. We both know that's not gonna happen. He's gonna go out there guns blazing, trying to finish. And in trying to finish, a lot of times he's come close to being finished himself. So it's gonna be one of those situations: hit or miss, bang bang. It'll be. It could be over that quick. But if it goes past a round and a half, round round and a half, uh, historically. Brenton has not looked great. Uh, I can't disagree with you there, sir. Not at all. Let me look at my agenda and see what... Joanne Calderwood, she's fighting Jennifer Maya. So I have a question here. I saw this fight and I was, while I was putting together the um, agenda for tonight. Wasn't Joanne Calderwood's book to fight Valentina Shevchenko? Like, did, I, yeah, did I make that up? No, no, she was, but then Shevchenko got hurt and had surgery, so... UFC Why? doesn't pay their fines enough to sit on sit on the sit on the sidelines, so I guess they need a payday. So that's tough because I was talking, I was looking at this. And I'm like, Jennifer Maya is a dangerous fight. If you went from fighting for the title to fighting Jennifer Maya, that's a very dangerous step back. Break this fight down and tell me why Maya may be someone that Calderwood doesn't want to face if she had a title fight in her her back pocket. If, if JoJo was a different kind of fighter, it'd be a real easy fight, but she's not. Like, Calderwood, I'm a fan of her. But a lot of Calderwood's success is she's a slow starter. Even now when she starts a little bit faster, she still tends to start kind of slow. Um, her, a lot of her success is based off her ability to get clinches, her kicking, her physicality, and, 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 her, and her physicality and her physical strength. She's facing Jennifer Maya, who's had issues making weight, but who's also known as a very physical fighter, a very strong fighter, a very durable fighter. You know, she's not very diverse in her striking, but the fact of the matter is JoJo Calderwood isn't very diverse in her, def- her defense. Her offense has gotten a little bit sharper and a little bit smarter, but if you throw some feints in or you, you, you're determined to get to JoJo Calderwood, nine times out of ten, you can't get to her. She's not very hard to find with her footwork. She's not very hard to find in her defensive maneuvers. 
the, her whole her striking her style of striking kind of puts her in the line of fire. The only advantage she has in the case of Maya is Maya's not a high volume striker. Maya's not a high volume striker. She's not a knockout striker. She's kind of a a grinder, boxer kind of physical type type of fighter. But given given the holes that JoJo has historically shown, there's no reason to think that Maya isn't more than capable of taking advantage of those things and exposing exposing her. It's just a dangerous fight given the flaws that JoJo Calderwood has had in her career. She's not quick-footed. She's fairly hittable. Um, she she doesn't she doesn't really master range very well. And a lot of her when she gets stung or when she gets hurt, a lot of what she relies on is her ability to physically control you, take you down, get you in clinches, back you up. That's not going to be easily done against Jennifer Maya. As limited as she is, Jennifer Maya is a big, physical, strong fighter. So she's going to be able to shrug her off. She's going to be able to get back up. She should be able to get off the cage, and she should be able to put some shots together on on Calderwood. So it's a risk based off of who Calderwood is a fighter. I'm not saying they're the same class of fighter, but based off the things Calderwood historically has issues with, Maya is more than capable of putting her in some bad spots, more than capable of exploiting the holes in her game. If she loses this fight, how bad would that look on Calderwood's team for letting for having her step in in this situation? I don't know if it looks bad on Calderwood's team. It might look bad on the UFC because your fighter is fighting. She's obviously on a win streak, and she doesn't have enough money to sit and wait. I mean, clearly she's fighting for money. I mean, but NBA players don't rush back from injuries. You know why? Because they have contracts to pay them enough money where there's no need to rush. And a lot of pro athletes don't have to because of the investment put into them. Clearly, Calderwood doesn't have any fight schedule, so she's trying to, you know, like I said, Shevchenko's might be out for another six months. Can Calderwood go a year without fighting? I don't know a fighter in the UFC who can go a year without fighting. Unless your name's, uh, what, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, somebody of that nature. I mean, her team... Her team, I don't know if her team brought it to her, but the final word is hers. And while I wouldn't suggest them to bring it to her, I don't have to pay her bills. And some of the people on her team are in a more in-depth relationship with her, so obviously she trusts them. I wouldn't do it. But then again, like I said, when, when finances come up, you end up doing a lot of things that you might not have previously wanted to do. True. Uh, I can't disagree with you. I mean, is there anything else that... Even if Maya, if Maya doesn't make weight and she beats her still... You know she's still going to lose that title shot. So it's like yeah. she's not a big enough draw. So, I mean, Maya didn't even have to come in and wait. I don't know that Maya gets a title shot if she beats Calderwood, but I know that if Calderwood loses, the title shot's gone. And she won't be anywhere near one for quite a while, in my opinion. Nowhere near one at all. Um, let's talk about anything else. Or is, is anyone else on this card that stands out to you? It didn't really look like that to me. Ed Herman isn't uh, going anywhere, but I got a question about him in a minute. Um, the, the just the the Lando Venata Bobby Green fight should be exciting. It won't necessarily be an important fight, but it should be an exciting one. You got one guy who likes to defend, to defend and be slick and awkward to hit, and oftentimes doesn't do quite enough offensively. Then you got Lando Venata, who's a guy who's very offensive, come forward, throws a lot of esoteric, tricky strikes, but doesn't often do enough defensively to keep himself from winning. So that'd be an interesting fight because it's polar opposites clashing. So that should be exciting. That should be interesting. It's a rematch of a fight they had previously, which was close to a fight of the night. It won't be an important fight because neither one of these guys has established themselves as an elite fighter, but it'll be a fight, a fight that I think all fans will tune in to see and, and should reward all fans with a good performance. 
Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff. Um, let's hit some listener questions today. Um, if Calderwood is a top contender at 125, we don't see her as a true threat to Valentina Shevchenko. Are there any? Are there any road threats for her at, at 125 pounds? What are they going to do with that um, division? I think I think there, I think Calderwood has some avenues to beat Valentina. It would require a pitch perfect fight from her, but I feel given her, like I said, her physical strength, her physicality, a lot of the exa- a lot of the advantage that Valentina has isn't that she's just more explosive than these girls. She can physically fight them off, even if she she, she doesn't sprawl, defend your takedown perfectly correct. Technically, she's physically able to rip you off of her and shove you down. You take her down, even if she doesn't do the switch or the reversal perfectly she's used to having amanda nunez's big ass on her holly holmes big ass on her sarah kaufman grinding on her those people who come in the cage like 140 150 she's facing girls who come in the cage around 130 135 so she 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 can handle their physicality she can back them off a little bit i feel like jojo is one of the stronger girls and if she could get her hands on her and get her into some bad she could probably muscle her into some bad position or at least neutralize her so that it becomes less of a matter of just straight getting bullied or getting dominated. But once again, the skills on the feet are such a disparity, especially defensively for JoJo, in JoJo's case. And, and even in the grappling, where I think she's a better grappler, I don't know that she can control Valentina because Valentina's such a better athlete and seems to be able to fight at such a higher pace for such an extended period of time. Um, in the weight class, I don't know who's really a threat for her, like a real threat. JoJo has a fairly good chance, I think, but I think... Amanda Rivas has a chance. If she moved up weight class, I heard she wants to fight two weight classes. She's got a skill set that's interesting to me, where I could say athletically she's comparable to Valentina, and she's got enough skills across the board where whether she's on her back or she's on top, she could threaten Valentina. She could punish Valentina if Valentina was too eager or got too comfortable in a certain spot. So from that regard, I think Rivas has a chance. Um, I think if, if Andrade moved up, I think her style is tailor-made for Valentina. But she's still one of the better athletes. She's still probably a little bit quicker. And she's still very physically strong. She was manhandling bantamweight. So once again, it'd be she wouldn't have a huge athletic advantage. She wouldn't have a huge strength advantage. She'd have a huge skill advantage. She might kill Andrade on the feet. But you could see it interesting just because she wouldn't have as big a gap athletically. Maybe Andrade, maybe Wiley. Wiley wants to fight. And right now it's not looking like too many people can compete with, with Valentina. Wiley, Andrade, and uh, I'd like to see Rose fight her. I don't think Rose ever will. But Wiley, Andrade, and maybe uh, Rivas really are the girls who I think who could move up and have a chance of fighting her and doing well. Outside of that, I, I can't name anybody. I can't say anybody right off the bat is a good match for her. She, she's just so much better on the feet. She's just so much better athletically. And none of these girls have a – they're not dominant in, enough in any one skill set where they have – Big advantage over at Valentina as Valentina has over there. The, light, the advantage Valentina has athletically and on the feet is light years better. These girls might be a couple steps better than her on the ground. If I'm light years better in two areas and you're a couple steps better than me in one, that's, that's not a big enough gap for you, you to close the distance. And that's, that's the problem. But I think Rivas, Andrade, and Wiley have the potential to challenge her and have the potential to be threats to her. Uh, outside of that, I can't really name anybody. True, true thoughts there, sir. Last question I wanted to talk to you about was actually something I saw, everyone saw on Saturday, and it was pretty comical. It was pretty sad at the same time. But 
Sinesa Estrada and Miranda Atkins. You saw that six-second knockout, right? Yes. What was worse, this knockout or Elima Lane McFarlane's knockout of Soccer Mom a couple years ago in, in the MMA cage? I'd say they were almost equal. The only thing with McFarlane is you have most, if you're outskilled in one area, you can force the fight to other areas. You can take down, you can grab. There's, there's, you, you have avenues where you can completely avoid one aspect. In boxing, you can't avoid boxing. You can clinch, you can do a lot of things, but you have to risk. You have to get in certain positions to nullify those things. Um, I, can't, I can't bash it too much because everybody's like, well, she wasn't a caliber. She, she was a lower level. She was 6-0 and as a fighter. And maybe she fought low-level competition, but she was 6-0 and as a boxer. I saw somebody fight what some people call the best boxer ever with really no pro fights, who came in 0-0 as a pro boxer. And he fought the best defensive boxer probably of all time, and one of the top 15, top 20 boxers, top 10, whatever, depending on your list, number one, top number 25, one of the best boxers of all time. So how can I hate on somebody facing somebody of that caliber when we saw somebody who was 0-0 as a pro boxer face one of the best, most elite boxers of this generation. So let me ask this. If she was six uh, wait, 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 one more thing, one more point, one more point. We also have Clay Collard, who is an MMA fighter, who for the past six months has been knocking off highly right. accomplished amateur fighters, guys with flawless records who, were, who had amateur experience and been boxing all their lives. He's been knocking them off. So I'm not saying it's a good fight. I'm not, I'm not saying the matchup was right. I'm not saying I respect it, but we saw 0-0 zero and zero against 49-0, and 0, and we've seen a guy who's got multiple losses as a pro facing undefeated, highly ranked amateurs who've won every sort of amateur competition at every single level from city to world, and he's knocking them off. So in that, in that theory, it's not too far a stretch to say that she could have won. It's not likely, but Clay Collar's wins aren't likely. And even though I mean, Mayweather carried McGregor, yeah, uh, she has too. She's six and zero. Oh. She's in Boston. I'm not saying it's the same, but there's. I'm not saying it's right, but when we compare it to other things, whether McGregor was carried or not, he went ten rounds. One of the best fights. You can say whatever, but the fact is, he went ten rounds. On the record, it's going to say ten rounds carried or not. He went ten rounds. Kai Collar is not that good a technical boxer. He is not that experienced a boxer, and he's gone out there and knocked off some of the highly ranked. Highly invested in top talent that boxing has seen, and he's been knocking them off, and he's not even undefeated himself. So I mean, when compared to those, straight is it like three or or three or four? I, I, I feel like he's lost one in between there. Yeah, but um, even the, even his loss, it was a competitive loss. It wasn't like he just got wiped out. He, let me check. He's you been keep talking, beating. He, he's been beating highly ranked guys who are pros, undefeated. Who who have extensive extensive amateur skill as careers and showed a high level of skill as amateurs and you can say amateurs isn't pro but they're more accomplished as boxers they're more experienced as boxers those fights shouldn't have been made it's just His he last was able was to perform back in 2019 he, yeah um, he was able and to since then he's won seven look at the record he's beaten these are guys so. they put money into these are guys who yeah. are supposed to be potential champions potential contenders. I mean, shit, he's Clay won four Collard. fights this year. And, he, and then those four, he stopped two and got a split decision against one and unanimously against the other. And these are guys who are like undefeated. These are high-ranked prospects. They paid a lot of money. 
he was supposed to win this fight. And I'm not saying that fight was made. That girl shouldn't have been in there. She's not the caliber. She's not the class. But once again, in women's boxing, it doesn't have as many bodies. It doesn't have as many combatants. Sometimes a girl might fight a girl two or three times in her career because there's no one else who will fight her. She'll just have to take the fight. And I, I don't approve of it. I don't necessarily respect it. She obviously wasn't ready. But let's just say she would have won it. Then what would the story have been? This girl's a fraud. The other girl's phony. It's a great news story for everybody. It's a risk you take every time. The girl, even though she wasn't ready for it, she had the opportunity to have the upset or the performance of her life. She was unable to do it. And that's what we expected. But if she would have been able to put on a performance, if she would have been able to win, what would the storyline would the storyline have been? Should have happened? No. But let's let's face it, in combat sports, there's not enough people who compete in combat sports for you to get the right matchup, to get a fair matchup. But that happens every night. We just saw it on a big big platform. That happens every night in boxing. You know how many guys, amateur guys, face guys with losing records? Guys who were 20 and 20 as boxers getting rolled out against a guy who's been an amateur world champion four times in a row is bigger, stronger, and faster than him? This happens regularly. It's just disgusting because A, it's woman, and B, because we all saw it. But it happens every day. It happens all the time. And when that, when that guy who's, who's the underdog knocks out the favorite, we don't feel bad for the favorite. Obviously, they weren't ready for a tough fight, and they lost, but nobody feels sorry for them. We just look down on them and say, you know, they messed up. They, they should be ashamed. They aren't who they said they were. They're a fraud. When it goes the way it's supposed to go, then we feel bad, and it's hard to look at. True. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, Schwan. Let everybody know what you're working on, sir. Um, me, I am working. I am working on, uh, as usual, I'm working on uh, my live action pieces. Uh, trying to get some more requests in and trying to get it just right because, like I said, these are made up people from uh, comic books and movies, and people take them very seriously, like it's a real life fighter with real life feelings. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. But I'm going to take it seriously because you take it seriously. Other than that, I'm tweeting about. Uh, Boxing on through MMA ratings. I'm tweeting about different camps, different fights, my assessment of fighters, kind of more in-depth breakdowns of what I see from fighters. Um, I can't, you know, due to the constraints of the show, we don't have hours and hours to go over every technical aspect. So sometimes I'll go through MMA ratings and I'll just get on a fighter and I'll kind of break it down and engage with the fans to give my take on what their limitations, whether it be strategic, technical, or physical. Good, good, good. Um, I am, you know, covering uh, covering MMA and wrestling as we usually do. Uh, you can find me at rgarcia underscore sports, which is where our content always is and will forever will be. My content will be there. Um, Shawan Holmes, you can find him at Black Jordan Breen. MMA ratings, you can catch us over at MMA ratings net and um, MMA ratings net on Instagram and Twitter. MMA ratings net for our flagship. And this show, every Tuesday, wrestling every Thursday or Friday, depending on what I feel like doing. But with that in mind, we will be back here next week to talk about this weekend's action and also preview yet another busy weekend of combat sports because we have, man, August is nuts. You see the number of, of cars they have? They have almost two a week for August. It's, it's, it's going yeah, to be bananas. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. It is pretty crazy going to be bananas month but we'll be here to cover it we'll, we'll keep you informed and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of work that myself Schwan, adam and mike will be putting into all the mma ratings content so with that in mind we're going to go ahead and close this episode out we'll be back next week stay safe everyone and where you got their mask yep cosign
stay safe, everybody.